morning, Crossroads. Uh, before I send the kids off to kids church, I have a quick story I want to uh, share, and uh, I want to have our, our kids hear the story too. Uh, this last week, I was having a conversation with uh, Lauren and Mary Kissinger, and one of the things that we're trying to do is just have stories about our people impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. And so, as we were we were talking, Mary began to share this story. Uh, with Terry and I about uh, they have this little cabin they're having all kinds of issues with the cabin between septic and electrical and foundations on the building and gas lines all that was going haywire all at the same time and so uh, they were getting all kinds of contractors out there to help them with the process well this little contractor was supposed to show up on a particular day and so uh, Mary and Lauren were at the cabin waiting, and the contractor never showed. So Mary got getting pretty irate. She was going to call this guy and kind of give him, you know, what for? And because they, had, you know, drove all the way to the cabin and all that kind of stuff. And Lauren goes, maybe we should pray for him. So they stopped. They prayed. Then Mary called. Come to find out, the man had to have an emergency. Uh, medical procedure that was quite painful. And then Mary said, Can I pray for you? There's this long pause. And, said, and then he asked, Do you, you want to pray for me? He says, Of course. She prayed for him. And the short story is that over the course of the next couple weeks, almost Every day, this person would call Mary so that Mary and Lauren could pray for this man. You see, this man went to the church when he was young, but walked away from the church as an adult. Was on his second marriage, and that wasn't going very well. And his two kids were estranged from him because of life issues. And so his life was kind of a mess. So here are two people who just decided to love on somebody. And now they have a growing relationship with this young man. And they have uh, had the opportunity to love well. And in the process of praying, uh, the relationship with this, this guy's relationship with his wife got better. This guy's daughter reached out to him unexpectedly. All these little things are beginning to so it's just an encouragement for you and I to remember our mission, to impact people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. That's all it takes in the everyday life. How can we love people well? Kids, you're dismissed. Head off to Children's Church. And let's take a moment and pray for our kids as they head out. Father, thank you so much for uh, our, our kids. We pray that you would bless their time. We pray that you would bless uh, the teachers and empower our teachers with your spirit. And then I pray, Father, for our time here together in this service, that you would uh, just anoint uh, this time, that you would open our hearts to the truth that you have for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, I went back in First Corinthians to chapter 5. We've been on this long journey through 1 Corinthians, and over the
of the last few weeks, we've been talking about the problem of pride, as Paul's been talking about it, and we went to chapter 5, because uh, just felt like we needed to talk a little bit more about what, what Paul says, leaven, that we should get rid of the leaven from the body of Christ, and that a little leaven can infect the whole. It doesn't take a lot, and what Paul was trying to communicate to the church was, here you've allowed this man into your church who is living with his father's wife, sleeping with his father's wife, and, and you're okay with that. That kind of thing, that leaven, that sin, you let it grow, and it impacts the whole. So purge the evil from in the midst of you. Pride tells you that you can handle a little sin. Pride tells you that grace covers the sin in your life, and you can even boast about it to a certain extent, and it doesn't matter. Pride tells you that you are so important, or that there's a person in the body that's so important that it doesn't matter if they have sin in their life, because it's better to let that person live in that sin because of what they bring to the church. But Paul is saying, no. Two weeks ago, John talked about, he focused in James chapter 6 about lawsuits among believers. And uh, as it says in verse 7, if believers are using the courts or the laws of the land to settle their dispute, you've already lost. So, so if two believers have such an argument that they have to rely on the courts, that they can't work it out, whether you win or lose in court, you've already lost because you weren't able to get it together on your own. In fact, Paul kind of says in so many words that you're better off losing than going to court. You're better off surrendering. And so today we're going to pick up the conversation in 1 Corinthians 6 starting with verse 12, and as you can see from the slide, the title of the message today is Pain of Cornea. Uh, in fact, we're going to be talking about this pain of cornea over the next few weeks. What is cornea, you may be asking. Cornea is the Greek word for immorality, and most of our translations will say sexual immorality, so it, it is an important topic for us today, as it was an important topic for the church back in Corinth. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Otherwise, uh, the words will be up on the screen, starting with verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is for it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Thus, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. Before we dive into talking about pornea, uh, there's some things that we need to understand about human sexuality uh, that, that begins with what we believe about God. You see, in general, our worldview shapes even what we believe with God. Our worldview is kind of like a lens over the truth. And the thing is, we all have this worldview lens. We all are impacted by this. We've talked about it in the past, the difference between a Western culture mindset and an Eastern culture mindset, and how much of what is written in the text in our Bible is from that Eastern culture mindset. We need to have understand that mindset to a certain extent. Many times when we read the Bible, our Western culture influences what we understand. And so while much can be said about who God is, in fact, we could probably do a six or eight week series on just who God is and, and our relationship with God, there are three things, three beliefs about God that I want us to understand and kind of get a grasp on before we move forward and really talk about pornea or talk about sexual immorality within the church. Even bigger, what do we talk about human sexuality in general? So the first thing that we need to believe about God is this. God created our sexuality. When it comes to sexuality, you can even you can either go basically according to what our world tells us. Our world tells us that our sexuality is a personal expression. It's uh, your identity. It's your feelings. Whatever you feel, whatever you identify with, that's your sexuality. Or we come from an understanding that our sexuality is an intentional aspect of God's design for humanity. Is it, is it just for our whim? Is it just what, what I believe about myself? Is, is it my feelings, what I feel like today? Or did God intentionally design our new sexuality? The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
male and female, he creates them. There is intentional design in God's creation. Part of that intentional design is recognizing that you and I are image bearers. We are created in the image of God. What, what does it mean to be an image bearer? Well, the simplest the simplest answer to that is an image bearer is an image of the one it bears. Does that make sense? Think, think the sculpture. A sculpture sculpts a, a human to look like a particular human so that when you see that sculpture, you think of that human. So too, we are sculpted by the Creator in the image of God so that when people see us or interact with us, they see us. Another aspect of this is just a mirror. A mirror reflects the image that is standing before that mirror. We are to reflect God. That's what it means to be an image bearer. So when God created us in his image, he created us to reflect him to the world around us. Satan has convinced us that we should reflect our own desires, our own passions, our own wills. God created us to reflect his desires, his passions, and his will. Genesis 2.24 says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Where two are united as one. Our gender and our sexuality are all part of God's work in creating human beings. And he intentionally designed us, male and female, with drives and hormones to draw us together for the purpose of covenant relationship. We are meant to be in covenant relationship. That is the design. That is God's original intent, his original desire. And next Sunday, we're going to talk more about covenant relationship, what it means to be in a covenant relationship. Our world, as I mentioned earlier, sees sexuality as an expression of our own identity and feelings. And our feelings about sexuality have changed. And I know I don't need to tell you that. You, you, you see it, you, you're living in this world. You see it on the news, you see it everywhere. Our feelings about sexuality have changed. There's a general social survey that was done back in the 70s. And the respondents, who were between the ages of 65 and 89, back in the 70s, saw premarital sex as being wrong. All of them, 100%. In 2002, the same organization did the same survey, and that same age group age 65 to 89, it dropped to only 39% of those saw 
2017, Gallup poll found that 69% of Americans believe it's morally acceptable to have sex outside of marriage. In fact, waiting for marriage for a fulfilling sex life has gone from being the norm to being quaint and outdated to today. Our culture's feelings and identity around sexuality has changed. In fact, kind of our moral uh, mantra is if it feels good, do it, and if it doesn't hurt anybody else, then it's okay. You do whatever. You believe whatever about human sexuality or anything for that matter. And if it doesn't hurt anybody, then you're okay. Just, just do it. Question that we as followers of Jesus need to be asking when we talk about human sexuality or anything for that matter is what does God's original design What is his original intentionality? And we know that Satan has succeeded in creating a culture that says whatever God thinks is. Whatever God thinks, it's wrong. We don't care what God's original design was. It doesn't fit my feelings and my beliefs. Paul tells us in Romans 11, verse 36, he says this, for from him and that God created all things that they were created from him that they were created through him and that they are for him do we believe that all that God creates is good in the Genesis story in chapter 1 there's a phrase that is repeated at the end of each day and that is this and God saw that But in the second part of the story, as we get to chapter 2, verse 18, which focuses on Adam and Eve, God says about Adam being alone, it is not good that man should not be alone. And so what I want us to notice here is that the word in Hebrew for good is tov. Now, I had the opportunity a number of years ago to sit under the teaching of a Jewish rabbi, and he defined tov, or good, this way. The actualization, making real, or the potential 
of life embedded in the creation by God when the creation brings it forth to conceive the future life in it. Okay, take a moment. I know that's a lot. So let, me, let me try to break it down for you a little bit. Something God creates that is code, that is good, is embedded with the potential for life. Okay, so we're talking about good according to Hebrew. We're talking about God calling his creation good. Think about everything that God created in the creation story. Everything is embedded with life. And not only is it embedded with life, but it has the potential within it, seeds for future life, which means everything God created has the potential to bear fruit, to reproduce. That is one of the reasons why God is able to rest on the day of his Because he created everything code. And not just code at the end, because the end of Genesis 1, he calls us Moses code or very the change in our culture, even within our churches, that gives us the liberty to do whatever we want, live however we want. This is the picture for the church in Corinth. That's one of the reasons why Paul was dealing with the leaven, is because sin is no longer seen as sin. We don't need to change, because God's grace is how we are saved, and so God's grace is huge. His love accepts us. Those are all truths. But, remember last week when we talked about the lamb, Paul said that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He has already died and risen. You are unleavened because of Christ. You are already Forgiven, you are already clean. There is no sin in you. So why bring sin in? If you know that a little leaven is up to the door. 
to where our culture says, and not saying we don't need to change, Paul clearly says, there is change. We need to be given to that. Jesus came and died for our sins. Think about how Jesus interacted with people in the Jewish community. Whether it's a Samaritan woman at the well, or a kids, or Woman caught in adultery, the rich young ruler, he loved them right where they were at. He, he came to them with love and just said, I love you, and he loved them right where they're at. Then he challenged them to something better. He challenged them, and these are my words, he challenged them. He challenged them to live their life in a way that they recognize the light is shining in them and they might see the light that they can see. The Samaritan woman lost her purse. She went back to that also. Why did Jesus? Yes, we know this. This challenge, he gave everything back. Multiplied to those he had uh, defrauded and stolen from. And then he gave half of all he had to the poor. You see the seeds of life. You see the toke that happened because people encountered Jesus. What about the woman caught in adultery? She loved him, protected her from the young ruler, Jesus told him in love to go get all he had because he knew the rich young ruler was worshiping his possessions and his money. We are called to be holy and set apart because we are image bearers. We reflect the image of God. God saves us from our sin and gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in life so that we will be set apart. And then we follow our Jesus. Not that going around is that greed, idolatry, selfishness, taking advantage of people. Look how level those are to not We think of the opposite of good. For me to take advantage of somebody else just does not give life. It steals life. Do you see that? Do you see that sexual immorality doesn't give life? It steals life. Colossians 3, Paul tells us to put uh, to death, sexual morality, impurity, lusting desires, and greed. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, and bear each other's burdens. You see the difference between good, life-bearing 
and not good and death. So there's a talk about Cornelia for the next couple of weeks. I want us to see sexual morality for pleasure. This is not about wagging our fingers and saying you're a bad person. Wagging our fingers, and it's giving glory to God, realizing that God's original design and His original intent with our human sexuality was all about covenant relationship, life, and bearing life. The third thing I want us to believe about God is this. Jesus is Lord. Many of us see Jesus as our Savior. He has saved me from hell. I get to go to heaven when I die. Or you probably we see him as a friend. I mean, he has saved us from our sins. This is great. And um, you know, get to go to heaven, like I said. But um, we want to be in a relationship with this cool guy, Jesus. That makes sense. But the problem comes when we talk about lordship. You see, we maybe sing about it. In fact, I don't know if you noticed, but there are some songs here today that are talking about Jesus being Lord. Did you sing it with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul? Will you live it out when you leave here? It's easy to sing, Jesus, you're my Lord. It's easy for me to say it, Jesus, you're my Lord. It's much harder for me. Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus asked his followers, Do you know who is calling me Lord and Lord? And he said to me, This day of hunger and after Jesus talks about a good tree only produces a good fruit and a bad tree only produces bad fruit. And what you say flows out of your heart. So if you believe with your heart that Jesus saved you from the penalty of your sin and that you get to go to heaven, all that other stuff in life is not really going to matter. I'm already saved. I get to go to heaven. But if you believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, it will impact how you John 15, the vine and the branch. You bind me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you want and bear much fruit. Calling Jesus Lord means making my daily choice to acknowledge I give up my rights for his Sexual longings that I have, the desires that are outside God's design, I surrender those. My desires for greed require lots of wealth and possessions, and it's outside of God's design. I give that up. 
to slander somebody or to get back verbally or with some kind of action because I am hurt. If it's outside God's design, Paul says in Galatians 2 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is Jesus being saved. And remember, if you would be false in this example of this on the night he was betrayed, you know the story well on the mountain he was praying. Like the drops of blood, and it's intense. And he asks the question, which is an okay question to ask Will you take this cup from me? It's okay to ask that question of God. God can handle that question. But the example that we need to follow is that in the midst of that question, Jesus follows up. Whatever sin you struggle with, whatever issue you are facing today, it's okay for you to end your life and to wrestle with God. God, take this away from me. Do whatever. Or I just want to do my own thing. It's okay for you to have that wrestle with God. But in the end of the wrestle, there comes a point where you need to just say, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own, give up your cross, and follow me. And then he says, great. You try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. You try to lose your life, just hang on to it. And if we look at that verse in connection to this, where, where we pick up our cross, when but what Jesus is telling us is if you try to hang on to all those pieces of your life that you want to hang on to that are not told, that are not good, that are not embedded with the life of God, you will lose your life. You choose to pick up your cross and lose your life because you want the life that is embedded in you. I come to give life and give it abundantly. You have embedded in you life and the seeds for future life. It's in you. It is told. It is meowed, told, buried. So again, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about pain. We're going to get pain in some I want us to remember these three things as we move forward. God created our sexuality and it is It is no sin. God's love doesn't mean he ignores our sin. He saves us from the sin. That's a really good thing. That's no Jesus 
Thank you. 